I'm going to teach verse by verse, continuing the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, Gospel of Mark, chapter uh, 1 is where we will continue. If you don't have a Bible with you, raise your hands nice and high, and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Let's get into the Word. Father, um, we, uh, we just recognize, Lord, that you are the great I Am, and we are, um, many of us, Lord, just acknowledge you have been a shield to us. You've been a shield to our minds. You've been a shield in our lives as we obey you, as we trust you, as we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we pray over our uh, law enforcement here in Fluvanna County. Lord, we pray for your divine sovereignty over them, your protection over them. Lord, we pray for them to be um, blessed, Lord, for their families to be blessed, and for you just to, to be watching over them, Lord, and to be guiding them, th- just speaking to the, their, their inner person, Lord, as they... Um, as they carry out uh, justice, Lord, I pray they would understand what it means to walk humbly with their God and to do justly and to walk righteously before you. And Father, we pray for the moms in here today, especially, Lord, my heart, your heart to the single moms, to the moms carrying the spiritual ball on behalf of the family, Lord, where dad is absent or, or not a man who walks with God. Lord, we pray that you would give them the strength they need to continue to carry the spiritual ball and pass the baton to their kids, Lord. We, we know it's difficult in this age, Lord, uh, where there's so much depravity, so much immorality, and so many voices and so many messages and how hard it can be to uh, be a, alone in guiding a family, Lord. And, and so I pray and, and give you thanks that we have your word and that moms would be strong in the word. We pray for anybody who came here today because mom asked them to. I pray you'd sneak up on them today, Lord. Surprise them with your word. Father, open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word. We're so thankful. Lord, we know what we're, we're not what we should be, but we, we're glad we're not what we used to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. You know, when, when um, Jacob was just born, I had just transferred from being uh, working at UVA Hospital. I quit that job and was becoming a farrier or a horseshoer. So as any new tradesman uh, as a, as a new tradesman, I had no work. I was apprenticing a couple days a week, making $25 a day, two days a week, and Helga was working. So I got to be, for a, a few years, pretty much a, a, an at-home dad, a stay-at-home dad. And I'm so thankful for that experience uh, that I had because I understood what it was like to spend the day at home taking care of the house and watching the kids. And Jacob was just he was the only one I had, and that was hard enough, you know. That's not a commentary on him, it's a commentary on me. <laughs> but I learned a lot about what a day was like in the life of, of mom, uh, a mom who cares for her home and d- does all those things. And, and now, as we come into chapter 1 of uh, Gospel of Mark, we're going to learn what it's like uh, for it to, to live and to walk with Jesus for a day in his life. We start out in, in verse 21 of, of Mark chapter 1, in the morning... Uh, they're, they're going to, uh, on the Sabbath day, they go into the synagogue. Jesus teaches. Uh, he encounters uh, a man that was demon-possessed. He ends up in, in, after that, they go out to lunch at Peter's house. And uh, his mom, his mother-in-law is sick. And then after that, at, at, as the Sabbath ends, it's the end of the day. And they're bringing all kinds of people to him to be healed. And then the next part begins with now the next morning. So we see this 24-hour period where Jesus is engaged in ministry. And it's intense. And it's busy, and a lot is happening. So just one full day of kind of what life was like 
for Jesus to give an appreciation of, of what, he, what, what ministry, what would it have been like to follow Jesus, to, to walk with him, to minister alongside of him. And so we pick up in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, after the official call of, of some of these disciples to, to uh, officially be his followers. He's already encountered the woman at the well in Samaria. He's healed a centurion's servant. Um, these are some of the things that have happened that Mark hasn't recorded, but have been recorded other places. So verse 21 says, Then they went into Capernaum. This is on the north uh, border, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, for those of us that have been to Israel, the Sea of Galilee is absolutely breathtaking. It is beautiful. 14 miles long, about 6 miles wide. It is a beautiful place. And so Capernaum is there on the northwest corner, northwest uh, border of the Sea of Galilee. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Uh, the word astonished, you can also translate that shocked. So in the synagogue, the synagogue is just the place where the, the Jews would gather when they weren't living near, if they didn't live near the temple down there uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, the synagogue lifestyle, very, our church services are very much modeled after synagogue services from those days. The way we sing, the prayers, uh, the teaching, the reading of scripture, those are all things that would have taken place in the synagogue, and they had the, the law and the prophets were there um, in, in, in something that oftentimes looked like a, a, the ark, and then there was a bench where the, the elders would sit, and <clears throat> there, was, there, there was a reading of the word, and then there was a time for commentary, and there wasn't always a, a pastor that would show up, and uh, sometimes someone would, you know, would get up and do a, a commentary on the reading, or if there was a traveling rabbi, he would be invited to come and, and speak there at the synagogue. And so Jesus obviously recognized um, as a teacher, he's already been kicked out of one synagogue in Nazareth, and now he's here in Capernaum. And he gets up, uh, we, we get a picture in Luke as he teaches um, from Isaiah, and he reads a passage, uh, and then he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's his commentary. I'm here. This is, this is being fulfilled right now. And, now, and I don't, we don't know what he taught here in the synagogue on that day as they gathered. But whatever it was, they were shocked at his teaching. There was something uniquely different. Jesus is just not another rabbi. When he taught, he didn't have to quote these other rabbis, which is what they would do. You know, when, when, you know when you hear something unique, when you hear a person who has a command of the subject, they're an authority on the subject. You know, I, I can talk to you about... Uh, rebuilding, you know, engines in a car. But you'd know, I don't know what I'm talking about because I've never rebuilt one. But I know there's some guys in here that have rebuilt lots of them. And they would be much more qualified to talk to you about rebuilding that engine than I would. Now, I have Google, so I can fake it pretty good. And there's a lot of people, we have a lot of self-proposed experts in our world now, don't we? Who are glad to think themselves an authority on a subject will be glad to tell you how much they know about this or that, and really they don't know. But what is the topic of the Bible? Jesus. Jesus is the topic of the Bible. He meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he teaches them all things concerning himself, from the law and the prophets, all things concerning himself. So who's the best person qualified to talk about you? You. Who's the authority on you? 
You. Who's the authority on Jesus? Jesus. So when he is speaking and teaching about God's word, he doesn't have to say, well, this rabbi said that, or this, I read this commentary, and Charles Spurgeon says this, and John Piper says that, and William Barclay says this. He doesn't have to, you know, to quote other people. He says, you heard it was said in days, of, in days of old, you heard it was said this, but I say to you, here's what that really means. Here's what that really was about. Because the scribes would teach their traditions. They would teach on those things. But Jesus taught them what the word was about. He taught them what it meant and what it meant for real. And he was right on. And when they heard what he said, you've heard it was said this. But I say to you, here's what it really means. And they went, we have never heard anybody teach like that before. And it must have been, man, it must have been awesome to hear. Imagine, you know, like, you know, here I am sitting here teaching about Mark chapter 1. And Jesus is sitting right there. I'd be like, nah, come on up here. You better do this, you know. You're the authority on these things. And, and that's why here we, we read a lot. The authority, isn't, uh, the authority isn't in the pastor's stories about this or that. The authority is in the word of God. And so he teaches them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was something different about his teaching because he, he was the authority. God was in their presence. Now, verse 23, there was a man in their synagogue. Notice that, a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. That doesn't mean he looked like pig pen and didn't get changed when he got up. This is the reference to a demonic spirit. You know, this is, we're going to be referencing things to do with the unseen spiritual realm. There's an angelic presence we recognize biblically. Uh, There's a demonic presence. The demons are just fallen angels that exert influence in and around the world. Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And and you all know the verse. Let me uh, read it more specifically here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So this man with an unclean spirit is there, and I'll I'll get back into that in a minute. Um, I'm probably going to say more about demonic spirits and and demon possession today than I will the the rest of the Gospel of Mark, because demon possession comes up often in the Bible, does it not? And so we all have questions and confusions about that, so I'm hoping we can spend a little time just talking about it, I did way more research on this this week than I ever cared to again in my life. And I hope that, that it's, it's helpful in some ways, or at least eye-opening in some ways, and then we'll leave it there, and then we'll move on. We won't have to have that discussion again. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. He cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, why is this all in the plural? It's as if the demon now that lives in this, that's possessing this man, that's dwelling in him, that's controlling him, is speaking through him and, and recognizing Jesus, which is better than a lot of people today. So even the demons believe and tremble. James writes that. The demons are doing better than a lot of human beings in that they at least recognize the deity 
the authority of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and he says, so the demon says, let us alone. What have we to do with you? What, what have we in common with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. A lot of people don't know who Jesus is. A lot of people argue about who Jesus is. But this great recognition of him by this demon that's dwelling in this man. So, of course, what is Jesus going to do about this? I mean, the battle is on, right? Well, Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. There's no battle. There's no, oh, no, you know, I got to, he doesn't have to go, let me come back, I'll go fast and pray for a while. He just, and literally it says, be quiet, you can, it means be muzzled. And a better, so don't think me crude when I say that a better translation of this, this comes from Greek uh, folks that, the guys that study the Greek language say the better translation of this is shut up. Shut up and get out. There's a message on Mother's Day, right? (laughs) Shut up and get out. Be quiet and come out of him. He just speaks not to the man. Now the man is sort of the the pawn in this. He has been... uh, his life has been controlled by this demonic force. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Then they were all amazed. I mean, that's, that's called finding something unique when you show up to church on Sunday. Right? I mean, you, know, you just never know what's going to happen. There they are. We don't know if this guy was regularly part of that congregation. You know, sometimes I look around at church and go, man, there's some people that are, that are influenced not by the spirit of God that sit in the pews every week. I've been to church council meetings. I see what happens there. And I don't know what's controlling you, but it ain't God. And so this guy, was he a regular part or was he just visiting that day? Because it says their synagogue, as if this guy was not part of that. It wasn't his synagogue, it was theirs. And he shows up and, and in the middle of the service. How does it sound? Is he speaking with his own voice? Is he speaking with another voice? And I'll get into some of this in a minute. We don't know. I mean, was it this, was it, you know, the head-turning exorcist voice, you know, of some deep, creepy thing? Or was it his own voice? But whatever the case may be, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, there's that word a second time, is teaching with authority. And now, when it comes to the demonic realm, when it comes to the supernatural realm, when it comes to demon possession, for with authority he commands even the unclean spirits. So as if teaching with authority was awesome, now when it comes to the spiritual realm, they, they're looking like, like he can even do this, even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Again, more than we can say for people in a lot of ways. The unclean spirits obey him. The demonic spirits obey him. And immediately... His fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. I'll bet it did, huh? I bet they, when they got home from church that day, they were on the phone, you know, you'll never believe what happened at church today. You know, that's when you, you meet each other, they're meeting at the restaurant and going, so what did the preacher teach on? I have no idea, but this guy showed up in church, and you'll never believe what happened. Amazing. Now, I'll tell you, when it comes to this area, I don't have a lot of experience. You know, I, I've sat with people and I've gone, yeah, I don't know, man. There's something that ain't quite right here. I love what Paul said to the Romans. He said, be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning evil. Untainted, unmixed. So I don't spend a lot of time looking for demons. 
I don't spend a lot of time trying to research into the world of the occult. It's a scary and a dark world. I've seen more than I ever want to see. And I learned more in the last 24 hours than I ever wanted to know. So I'm going to pass some of that on to you so you can say, now I know more than I ever want to know. And hopefully it'll make you run from anything like that. But I'm try- I'll try to be careful because this, we have to balance this out because sometimes we go to the extremes and say, well, anyone that has a, a psychiatric illness, you're bipolar, you're this or you're that, well, that's demon possession. And that's not right. The Bible makes a delineation in those things. But then the other extreme is the Bible says be simple concerning evil, but it doesn't say be ignorant concerning evil. We recognize that we have an adversary, the devil, and he's prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. So I think there is a balance of understanding without being... um, Some people get uh, preoccupied. That's a dangerous place to be. If you're preoccupied, even for the sake of ministry... I would say be careful. You're, you're walking in dangerous territory. Uh, there's a lot about demon possession, and, and Jesus, you know, even at the end of this, they're all going to bring him all that are sick and all that, that he casts out many demons. I'm like, what's the deal? Why so many people demon-possessed? I mean, what do we, do we see this very often in our day? We, we, don't, we don't see a lot of people coming and saying, you know, hey, let's bring our demon-possessed down to church this weekend, Right? Now, sometimes I think it happens at, at the uh, potlucks, but I'm not sure. I wonder, you know, and so I don't know. I don't, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I feel inadequate in, in a lot of ways in teaching on these things. I have some ideas. It, it could be that the presence of Jesus on the earth brought a heightened the, the, the spiritual activity at that time. It could be that the prevalence of paganism in the Roman culture opened the door to much demonic activity. Paul says uh, to Timothy, he says, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We see the work of, of demons not just in possessing people and, and inhabiting them fully, but also just in deceiving people. That's what happened in the beginning with Eve in the garden. She was deceived, and, 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 and the deception of the devil was for you to indulge, or for her to indulge her flesh. And so we see, again, these, the reality of these things. Uh, we see in Acts 19, uh, there, there are itinerant Jewish exorcists that are going around exercising, trying to exercise demons. They would recite incantations very unsuccessfully. They, the, this, these seven sons of a guy named Sceva, Acts 19, they try to exercise the demon, and the demon says to them, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you guys? And then the guy leaps on them, tears their clothes off, and they go running out of there scared whole different story than what we see with Jesus confronting the demonic realm. Now, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, um, but here's, let me just read a couple of things to you. Uh, the presence of evil, just in general, this is um, uh, the way that evil manifests itself have always been mysterious. In his book, I Have Lived in the Monster, uh, expert FBI crime po- profiler Robert K. Ressler makes this striking observation about the demonic. Supernatural causes people felt in the era before Freud were the only logical explanations for excessive savage murders, blood draining, and other such monstrous acts. People felt there were demonic elements to such acts. And I cannot say that they were entirely wrong. Because even today, when we try to explain ourselves, to ourselves the acts of Jeffrey Dahmer, those acts seem uh, satanic, at least in part, because they are in large measure beyond rational understanding. We can attribute them to human behavior. 
pushed to extremes, but even saying this and demonstrating how such behaviors can be traced back to childhood and genetic stresses does not completely suffice as explanation. After all, in the Dahmer family, Jeffrey had a younger half-brother who grew up in the same household but did not commit heinous acts, maybe due to the prevalence of paganism and, and idolatry. That's my words, maybe due to these things in a life. Um, what happens when we turn from God and open ourselves to the occult? And there is a rising interest in the occult in our day and age. Uh, you don't believe me? I wouldn't have necessarily believed it because I live sort of in my little Jesus bubble, you know. I deal with people and I don't get into all MTV and I don't get into music videos and I don't get into the news and these kind of things. I, 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 I'm safe in Christ. And I think that's what I, the, the ultimate teaching in all this is when Christ comes in, any other force has to leave. So you can go all day and study all about the occult. The answer is let Jesus into your heart and everything else has to go. Everything else has to go. It's astounding to me um, the number of entertainers in our culture who have and, and utilize alter egos. Did you know, I, I didn't know this. Beyonce has an alter ego called Sasha Fierce. Sasha Fierce is the fun, more sensual, more aggressive, more outspoken side and more glamorous side that comes out when I'm working and when I'm on stage. This is a press statement. I've created an alter ego. Things I do when performing, I would never do normally. I reveal things about myself that I wouldn't do in an interview. I have out-of-body experiences on stage. If I cut my leg, if I fall, I don't even feel it. I'm so fearless, I'm not aware of my face or my body. That sounds suspicious. Now these, listen, these are the people that our teenagers are following. We talked about following. Listen, let me give you just one or two more here. Um, let me read this one. Well, Nicki Minaj, she's one of the highest on, with uh, Twitter followers. She has an alter ego named Roman Zelansky. Roman appears mostly on songs where at least an adequate amount of anger is displayed and where heavy lyrics are used. Minaj discussed this alter ego in an MTV documentary called My Time Now, which aired in November 2010. This 29-year-old first revealed Roman Zelansky as her alter ego during October of 2010, uh, a collaboration for a song called Roman's Revenge with rapper Eminem, who also has an alter ego, by the way, uh, named Slim Shady. In the MTV documentary, Minaj explains, Roman is a crazy boy who lives in me, and he says the things that I don't want to say. He was born just a few months ago. I think he was born out of rage. He was conceived in rage, so he bashes everyone, and he threatens to beat people, and he's violent. This same Minaj in 2012 at the Grammy Awards performed on stage a demon exorcism that received applause. I could go on. But I'm not going to. I think that's enough. What do we do with these things? Yeah. Be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning evil. Believe me, it's out there. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. I don't have to mess in that world. I don't have to mess with those things. That I'm safe as long as my mind is given to Christ. That Christ tells us, the Bible tells us, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm safe there. I'm scared of this junk. I'm scared that kids see this stuff. I'm scared that these are the people they're following. That's scary stuff. And it's growing. Now, I don't say this to be, I'm not a, you know, a, a scare tactic kind of guy. I just, this is, I, I found this in Google in 30 minutes. 
And I, and I checked, I, got, I tried to get stuff from reputable sources and not, you know, scary demon websites and stuff. But I don't care to look into this stuff again. So I don't know where, you know, I, I just say this to say because it's easy. Satan's biggest tool is for you not to believe he exists. And for you to deny the fact that these things are out there. So that's why I take the time to share that because these are going to come up again. And I thought we would just nail that down and move on. So can we move on? Yes, thank you. Let's move on. His fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, after dealing with this deal here, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Uh, So their house is in, they live in Capernaum. Luke tells us that Simon was from Bethsaida. Seems to be a contradiction unless Simon moved from Bethsaida to Capernaum, whether it was a family-based move or for his fishing business, we don't know. But he lives now uh, in Capernaum a very well-known fishing city or village. But Simon's wife mother, wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Now that is a good Mother's Day sermon. Because what we appreciate about moms is that whether they're sick or healthy, they're, they're serving. You've got to convince them to lay on the couch for a few minutes and take a break, because moms are just servants. And so... Peter invites a group of people back to his house for lunch after, after church. And uh, his mother-in-law is sick. Now, how would you ladies feel if you're there on the couch sick, have a fever, you've you got the flu, and you're down, and all of a sudden all these people come over for lunch, right? Man, Peter's in trouble. This is his mother-in-law. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. And they tell Jesus about her. And Luke tells us, Luke the doctor tells us, he rebuked the fever. Authority with teaching of the word. Authority over the demonic realm. Authority even over the human body and health. He rebukes the fever. Matthew tells us when he saw her, he touched her. And so Jesus goes from public ministry, teaching at the synagogue. And he goes out for lunch. You can think, man, I'm off the clock, you know. That's when I go out for lunch. And sometimes it's hard for me to, you know, we, we all go to the same places for lunch. Palmyra's not that big, you know. So we go out to lunch and there's 15 people at the place, you know. It's like, no, nah, I'm not talking to any of you guys. I'm off the clock, you know. J- Jesus wasn't like that. It wasn't, there's no time off the clock. Like, hey, that was my public ministry. And now this is me time. He saw a need. He saw someone who was sick and he had compassion on her. In a private place, there were no crowds um, no, he's not going to get big applause. His fame is growing, but he's not above doing home ministry. And so much of the great ministry happens in people's homes. And don't feel like just because you don't have an opportunity for a public ministry that you don't have an opportunity for ministry, especially moms. I can't tell you how many moms I talk to and you feel like, man, I wish I could do more publicly. I wish I could be involved with this, involved with that. Look, your kids have one mom. No one else can be hired for that job. And the, the greatest ministry you can have is bring those kids up in the, in the training and the, and the admonition of the Lord. That is not a ministry of loving your husband, a ministry of loving your children, a ministry of caring for your home. That is not uh, to be blown off as some, well, since you can't do anything else. Where would the world be without moms willing to train up their children, willing to pass on spiritual things to them? So... Um, this is Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus heals her. And what's the, and her immediate response is, man, she gets up and goes, all right, time to do the dishes, you know. Better get back to it. And she serves them. And she had a heart 
uh, to serve. And we don't know anything about Peter's wife. He was married. We know that. You don't have a mother-in-law unless you're married, right? So I don't know where you are with your Catholic background, and, um, but the, if Peter's the first pope, we also know he was married. So do with that what you will. At evening, when the sun had set, verse 32, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And there were many demons to cast out. This is, the, this is why I bring this stuff up. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And so they're, they're, you know, at this point, he's still sort of not, uh, he's not uh, wanting to uh, expose who he is too publicly at this point. And so the demons, all, they're well aware of who he is. This is a spiritual battle happening. God, truth, light, has shown up on the earth. People rejected it in rejecting him, but the demons recognized it. They said, man, we are in trouble. And they set about to snuff it out. We know, what, we know why Judas betrayed Jesus, because Satan entered his heart. We know that the, it's documented that the man who, who shot John Lennon prayed to Satan for the strength to do that. And now at the end of this day, it's dark, Sabbath is over. Now they, they've, been, they've been watching the clock, watching the sun go down. And as soon as it goes down, they hear about Jesus. They know there is hope for these people that they know. And they're rushing to get them there. What if, that was, what if people had that kind of hope in Jesus Christ today? What if, man, you were up at 5 a.m. going, oh, I can't wait till 9 o'clock, man. Oh, I got some friends I want to bring. They need to know Jesus. Like, man, you got the car revved up, warming up, ready to go, and at, at 8.30, you're at their house going, come on, get in. Come on, it's almost church time. Come on, get in. Come on, I gotta, I gotta, they're going to be talking about Jesus at church today. And, we, and you need to be there so you can be healed. People don't like it when you tell them they need to be healed. But this is the end of Jesus. It's a long, would you not agree? That was been, it's been a long day. He's been going from early in the morning till the end of the day doing ministry. And I'll tell you what, don't, get, don't be surprised. Ministry is hard work. It's hard work. And it's around the clock sometimes. And that's why this next passage is important. And we'll end with this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Man, I understand that feeling. I know that feeling. When you're the go-to guy or when you're, you're, you're the, the face that represents Christ or represents the church. And, and that's why in, in, in this body of Christ, in this fellowship, you know, I'm one person. We have six elders. We can only, I can only minister to so many people. And I get tired. I'm human. And that's the importance of you guys ministering one to another. You can do so much more when, when we, we can accomplish so much more when people are willing to minister one to another. I want, believe me, I want to be there for all of you. I just can't be. I'm human. And I get tired. And I can, here's Jesus, this long day, exhausting day, casting, he's like, they're lining him up and he's casting out demons. He's doing spiritual battle. That's exhausting. Let me tell you, it's, I'd much rather go out and physically work all day working with horses or building houses or whatever. Because you start at the end of the day, you're tired, but 
it's sort of energizing in a way. You know, you're physically tired, but when you deal with emotional garbage all day long, when you deal with emotional issues, that is exhausting emotionally. And that's a tired you don't know unless you deal with conflict resolution and those kind of things. That's a deep tired. And yet, Jesus, the next morning, he doesn't say, man, I am exhausted. I'm sleeping in. I got, I got to sleep in today. When's he get up, folks? The harder his day, the earlier he has to get up. Not to check the news out, you know, maybe someone brought him coffee, I don't know. But he had to get up and prepare. I got to get up in the morning and prepare. I can't start my day. It's hard, and it happens sometimes. Life is fast. Life is moving fast. Things start early. And, we, and so whatever time things start, I got to get up earlier. And I don't always succeed. But when I don't exceed, I feel the difference in me, right? It's not some super, it's, it's in me that I have to prepare myself. I have to get myself before the Lord because I'm going to deal with conflict today. I may be facing something I'm not prepared for, so I got to get in the Word today because I need God to speak to me today because I need to be built up for whatever God has for me today. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a human being and I live in a fallen world where people are ugly and where evil happens and, and people hurt each other. And I don't want to contribute to that. So I've got to get myself in the Word of God to know what God says for me today, to be ready for what comes my way, to be ready to extend grace, to be ready to extend forgiveness, to have a word fresh in season for someone who needs help. Instead of excusing away, say, well, I'll read tonight, I'll read later. Later never comes. I've got to get up before everything starts. You know, you've got to get up early, before the news is on, before the phone starts ringing, or it doesn't happen. Once Jesus' day starts, man, he's rolling. Get up early. Be disciplined. You will not regret it. That's what Jesus did. And where did he go? He went to a solitary place, and he, and he communed with the Father. i got to get ready for whatever today holds. And, of course, they find him and say, hey, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go into the next town so that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And it was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons uh, by the time, uh, around this time, probably 200,000 people in the region of Galilee, 200,000 plus, around 200 villages. Now, Jesus in Capernaum, in this area, he's got a lot of fame, right? You would think, man, why well, go anywhere else? People know me here. They love me here. I'm a rock star here. But Jesus wasn't interested in being a rock star preacher or a, or a localized, you know, uh, ministry of, of demon exorcism. He says, there's a lot of small villages out there where people need to hear the word. And I don't, I'm not above going. I don't care if I'm preaching to five people. Well, the, minute, the minimum in a synagogue would have been ten people. Ten, ten to form a synagogue. So, and I love that about Jesus. He, he says, hey, we're going to go. We're, we're moving on from here. We're going to the next towns that I may preach there also. This is why I came forth. I came forth to bear witness to the truth. Wherever it's needed, and it's needed everywhere. Amen? So that's a lot for Sunday morning, a lot to digest, a uh, lot to process. Again, don't let this be the final word on these things. You think it through, you look it up, you do the research, and you figure out what God's word has to say for you. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite Nick back up here with the praise team. And as they come up, uh, as usual, um, I'm going to be sitting over here. And maybe, you know, you just never know what a Sunday morning's going to hold. And maybe there's someone in here that says, you know, I've got some influences in my life that I know are not of God. 
I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, but maybe influenced. Maybe you're into some occult stuff. You know, we have a friend. I have a friend that um, got into drugs, was introduced, introduced to drugs by the, the uh, D.A.R.E. program. True. It's a true story. They came, this, this is the Bible talks about too. They brought the D.A.R.E. program to his school, started talking about all the effects of drugs, and he got curious. Wanted to see for himself. Got into drugs, and under, under the influence of drugs, heard a voice tell him to kill himself. And he attempted it. Had never, had a good family, Christian home, had never done anything like that in his life. Under the influence of drugs, here's a voice. Now, he didn't say, hear a voice under the influence of drugs that said, why don't you send a Hallmark card to your mom? Right? I mean, here's a voice telling him to kill himself. Satan is a murderer and a destroyer. Here's a voice telling him to kill himself. He tries to take his life. He doesn't succeed. And to this day, he says, I don't, know, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know why I tried that. I don't know what that voice was. I've never thought that ever before in my life. Look, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And I want to tell you that the truth can set you free. The Son of God has come to battle those things on your behalf. I don't need to battle those things. I just need to get myself close to Christ to be in Him, to be built up in Him. And I'm safe as long as I'm abiding in Christ. So, you know, I, just on the outside chance someone here is dealing with something like that, if you don't come forward during the, during the final song, that's fine. Come see me afterwards. I would love nothing more than to pray for you and pray that the influence of Christ would be greater in your life than the influence of any evil. Amen? Amen.